there's nothing like it. I want to tell you that without, without controversy, without question, falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. And if you've never yet fallen in love with him, I want to tell you it will be the best thing you've ever done. There's nothing like a relationship with him. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. It just changes everything. It changes everything. Praise God. I was reading earlier. Someone made a comment that they believe part of the reason that God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because their knowledge of good and evil ought to come from their relationship with Him. And they chose instead an outside source to provide that knowledge. I'm telling you that when your knowledge of good and evil, when the choices you make are all based upon a relationship you have with God, it's, it's so much better than just trying to live by a list of rules and regulations. Amen. The things I do, I do not because it's a rule. I do it because I love Him. And I want to please Him. The things that I refrain from doing, I, I don't refrain from those things because there's a rule against it. I refrain from them because I've read in His Word that it displeases Him. And I don't want to displease Him. I love Him. I want to make Him happy. Praise God. And so the life that I live is not one that is restricted by regulation, but it is one that is governed by relationship. Amen. And that is so much, so much better. Praise God. Hallelujah. We do want to, again, welcome all of our guests. It is indeed a privilege to have you with us this morning at New Life Pentecostal Church. Amen. We always, always count it an honor when folks take time to worship the Lord with us. And we're thrilled that you're here. I do want to uh, remind everyone that we will be starting revival this week, Thursday night and Friday night, and then Sunday morning, Sunday night, Brother William Jones from Georgetown, Mississippi, is going to be with us. And I spoke with him, uh, I don't know what day it was, Friday. My days are running together. I think Friday I uh, talked uh, with Brother Jones on the phone and he is pumped up i'm telling you he's he is ready to go and uh, he said i can't wait to get there i feel like god is really going to do some great things and uh, amen so he's he's anxious to arrive and i'm anxious for him to arrive amen and so he will be here thursday night friday night then sunday morning and sunday night we do not have a saturday evening service uh, but Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday night, Brother Jones will be with us. Don't know how long he'll be with us, but, but he has no plans on going anywhere anytime soon. So we're, we're just going to have revival around here. Praise Amen. God. Amen. 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 Tonight uh, is our quarterly youth night. We do this once every three months on the fifth Sunday. Our young people just take charge of the service completely. They sing. Uh, they preach, they do it all, and uh, it's a great time, an exciting time, and um, so we want to invite you to be a part of tonight's youth night. 
uh, beginning at 6 o'clock. We'll be here by 5.30 to pray and to ask God's blessing upon the service. But we invite everyone to come and be a part of the service tonight and then again revival this week. Everyone say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I do want to get into the book of Ezekiel this morning. And uh, I had hoped, I had hoped to make a lot of ground last week. And uh, I did do better than the week before. Um, the week before, I only got through a half of a chapter. Last week, I covered one full chapter. So that, that was a little bit of progress. Um, today, I really, really would love to be able to finish the book uh, before we start into revival. Because I don't know how many weeks it'll be before we get back to it. I cannot make you that promise. I will tell you, I cut a lot of things uh, out and uh, tried to abbreviate as much as I could and may even abbreviate some more as we go along this morning just depending on how much progress we make but I would love to be able to to have this book behind us uh, when we start into revival and then once revival is finished then we can come back and start a brand new book uh, which will be uh, an interesting book the book of Daniel and so we'll we'll get into that Amen. Uh, I will say again to our guests, uh, we've been studying now for uh, two years, the, uh, just beginning with the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. In our Sunday morning services, we're just working our way through the scripture and uh, learning what we can about the word of God. It is a lamp. It is a light. It is essential to us. There's nothing more important than the word of God. Amen. Amen. We've got to have his word. We've got to have his word. Amen. And so we're trying to study it. We're trying to learn the word of God. And uh, we have been for a number of weeks. Uh, in fact, this will be our seventh installment uh, in looking at the book of Ezekiel. And to our guests, if you'll stop by the sound booth and give them your name and address, we will see to it that you get a copy of the CDs of the previous lessons uh, any lessons that uh, you have missed, we'll provide those to you at no charge to you. Amen. We just want everybody to be up to speed as we go through these books. It is very, very important that we hear what the word of the Lord has to say to us. Ezekiel chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 as our text this morning. Amen. And um, then we're going to go from there. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Uzai in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Amen. And so today, uh, as I said, is part seven of our study of the book of Ezekiel. I think this is a new record. I don't think we have spent seven weeks on any book yet. And um, as I said, I'm not completely sure we're going to finish it today. Uh, but we're going to do our best to go as far as we can. But I want to follow the Holy Ghost, and I think that's what you really want to. I, I really believe that you're not, uh, you're not overly anxious to just complete the study of a book, but you want to glean everything you can glean from the book before we move on. 
And so uh, knowing that relieves some pressure from me, and, uh, and I appreciate that very much. But we are going to uh, look at today as much of this as we can, and I do believe the Lord has some things to say to us. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. Let's ask God to speak to our heart from the pages of his word today. Amen. I do believe there are some relevant things he wants to say. Let's talk to the Lord, everybody. name in Jesus name let's worship him together everybody let's worship him together hallelujah I love you God I love you God I love you God hallelujah amen 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 God bless you you may be seated for the sake of those who have not been a part of the lesson to this point let me try to do a brief review some things you need to know about the book of Ezekiel before we actually start looking at the chapters uh, ahead of us and that is first of all that the basic message of this book is the importance of understanding and recognizing God's sovereignty understanding that God is the one who is supposed to be in control amen now that's not just a message for the Jews of Ezekiel's day it is a message that is important for us as well we need to understand that God is the one who is supposed to be in control. Amen. You have been bought with a price, the Bible says. You are not your own. Amen. You belong to him, and he ought to be the one who is directing you, guiding you, leading you, amen, and governing your life. Uh, we see this repeated throughout the book of Ezekiel some 70 times. Uh, we read the phrase, they shall know that I am the Lord. Amen. And, and so that statement, they're going to know. They're going to come to understand. I'm doing all these things so that I can make them wake up and realize that I am still God. I'm still on the throne. I'm supposed to be in charge and they need to change their ways and come back to me. Amen. And, uh, and so Ezekiel's job uh, mostly was to destroy the false hopes of the Jewish people. They had been carried into captivity. This is an important part of the lesson and even an important part of what we're going to talk about today. But uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem was besieged. It was overthrown three times uh, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And uh, he overthrew the city of Jerusalem three different times and each time took away captives but uh, Ezekiel when Ezekiel went into captivity with the other Jews uh, the Jews had this idea well we may be here but we won't be here for long after all we're Jews we're the children of Abraham God's going to bail us out of this God's going to get us we, we may be here a few weeks but that's it and Ezekiel's job was to tell them no it's going to take longer than that you're going to be here a while because you've got some lessons to learn 
uh, and I don't want to get sidetracked in this review, but I'm just going to tell you, sometimes, church, sometimes we are praying, God, get us out of this problem. God, deliver us from this situation. God, uh, alleviate my problem. When God wants you to understand, there are things he's trying to teach you. There are things he's trying to work out in your life, and some things don't get worked out in 24 hours. In fact, I've, I've, in many counseling sessions, I've tried to tell people they want an instant fix to a problem that's taken them 20 years to develop. And I said, look, it took you 20 years to get into this problem. We're not going to get out of it overnight. Now, hopefully it won't take us 20 years to get out. But I don't think we're going to do it in 24 hours. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and, and I'm telling you, sometimes this is where discouragement comes because we get it in our mind that God ought to be just stepping in and taking away every problem and alleviating every burden and drying every tear. No, 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 honey. That's not going to come until we're on the other side. But as long as we're down here, we're going to deal with problems. We're going to deal with situations. We're going to have things that God's got to work out of us. Amen. And so Ezekiel's ministry was to tell these Jews, look, you may be children of Abraham, but God's got something he's trying to do here, and you're not getting out of here anytime soon. So that wasn't a popular message. N nobody likes to hear the word wait. <laughs> we don't like to hear the word wait. We want to hear right now. That's why we have microwave ovens. That's why we have fast food restaurants. That's why we have instant potatoes and instant oatmeal and instant everything else because we don't like to wait. Hallelujah. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm telling you, sometimes that's what we have to do. Sometimes we have to just be still and know that he is God. Well, praise God. Amen. And so this was his job, and, and he had to deal with it. He had to preach against the sin that was still in their life, the things that were going on, and, uh, and, and he did that. He had a very unique ministry among the prophets uh, because most of the prophets, the, the majority of the prophets, uh, just strictly preached anointed messages that foretold what was coming or addressed current situations. But Ezekiel uh, didn't just do that. He did that, but he also saw visions and, and, and uh, saw things that were uh, difficult to understand and difficult to explain. And, and so it's just, it's a different kind of prophetic book even than all the rest. Now we won't go through what the outline is. We've done that. We've addressed that. I really want to just get right on into uh, the book itself. If you would open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 20. And, um, you know, we're, we're close to the halfway mark here. We're close to the halfway mark. 48 chapters in Ezekiel. Once we get through chapter 24, uh, we'll be halfway. So we're, we're getting close. But Ezekiel chapter 20, and uh, I want you to see what happens here. Now, now understand again where we are at this point in history. The judgment is already in progress. Uh, many of the people have already been taken captive into Babylon, uh, and, and yet it... The worst hasn't come yet. It's bad, but it's about to get worse. 
and and the people see what is coming and remember that during Jeremiah's day he kept warning this is coming this is coming this is coming and they didn't believe it uh, in fact if you remember when we studied the book of Jeremiah we talked about how they would come to him and argue with him and other prophets would get up and say no 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 God's going to spare us we're his people this is not going to happen and so they had this mindset but now Jerusalem has been besieged and they're seeing their nation topple and they're seeing their people being taken away as slaves it's happening before their eyes and so they're starting to wonder now they're starting to question if maybe the prophets have been right and so they come back to the prophet they come to Ezekiel and listen to what what, what happens here in Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 and it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, and the, the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord, and sat before me. Then came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man. All right, now, now hang on. The elders come to the prophet to inquire of the Lord. Now, this sounds like a pretty good thing, right? I mean, they're, you know, I, hey, I'm ready to hear from God. I, I know I know the prophets have been warning us. I know there have been a lot of preaching going on that we haven't listened to, but, but we're ready to hear from God now. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? So they come to Ezekiel to inquire of the Lord, but here's what God says. Uh, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel. Speak to the elders of Israel. And say unto them. Say to them. Thus saith the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God. Are you come to inquire of me? Uh-huh. As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. I will not be inquired of by you. What a tragic state of affairs. They come wanting a word from God, and God said, I'll give you a word, all right. The word is, I'm not speaking to you. I have nothing to say. See, let me tell you something, church. God, unlike people, God doesn't change. So what God says stands. He doesn't change his mind. We do. There are a lot of people that change their mind. There are a lot of churches that have changed their minds. There are a lot of people who used to believe things that they no longer believe. They've changed their minds. They've changed their views. They've changed their outlook. But God doesn't change. And God said, I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. I'm going to carry the people away captive. And it didn't matter how many times they asked God what he was going to do. His answer never changed. And so there, there comes a time when you're wasting your breath to keep asking God, what do I do? Um, it, it, I, had a, I had a pastor friend talking to me one day, and, and, and he, he was just so, so troubled about a situation that was going on. It was a, a couple in the church that they, both of them had bad situations, and I don't, I don't want to go through too much of what was going on, but... It was just, it was, this was a, a young man and a young lady, and both of them 
were in troubled situations, and the two of them decided to hook up. And the pastor said, I don't feel good about this. I don't think this is going to work. This is not a good idea. You don't need to do this. Well, they didn't like what the pastor said. They went and talked to their parents. The parents said, this is not a good idea. It's not going to work. You don't need to do this. They went ahead, you know, they, they, they didn't like that. So then they went and talked to another preacher. He said, this is not a good idea. This is not going to work. You don't need to do this. And, and, um, Everywhere they turned, they were getting the same direction. Well, they came back to their pastor, and they said, you know, we keep praying about it, but we can't seem to get any clear direction from God. Um, you've gotten clear direction from God. You're just not hearing what you want to hear. Some people think if they keep asking, the answer will eventually change. That's what happened to Balaam, and we talked about him uh, last week or the week before. We, we got to dealing with Balaam. Uh, we, we dealt with the fact that he just kept coming back and asking, God, can I go curse these people? And every time, God said, no. You can't curse them. And finally, God didn't say curse them. God just said, go ahead and go. And there was a reason why, because God had an angel in the path waiting to destroy Balaam. Because he had his mind made up to do what he wanted to do, it didn't matter what God said. There just comes a time, my friend, when you're going to have to just accept what God has to say. We may not like it, but we need to understand he is trying to do it for our good. He's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to harm us. He's not trying to deprive us of pleasure or, or fun or, or, or enjoyment or happiness. He's trying to help us. And so they came and said, God, we want to hear from you. And God said, no, I'm not saying anything. I've said all I'm going to say. I don't have any advice for you. But I tell you what he did say. Here's what I do want you to do, Ezekiel. And you can, and we won't take the time to read it all, but you can start right there in verse 4. And, and he says, I want you to recount for them the abominations that they've committed. Now, understand this. For those of you that have never heard me teach on this, you know, I, some people say, well, all sin is sin. And, and, and I understand what you're saying. But I do want you to understand some sin carries deeper consequence no sin is excusable but some sin carries deeper consequence than others and if the bible ever calls something an abomination to god that word means god hates it so intensely that if he were a human it would the, the hatred would make him sick to his stomach that's what an abomination is. That's what the word means. So when the Bible says that something is an abomination to God, God hates it with the most intense hatred possible. Now he says to Ezekiel, I want you to name for these men that are here wanting to hear something from me, wanting some encouragement out of me, wanting some promise from me. I want you just to go down the list and name everything they've done that makes me sick. Pinpoint their abominations. Talk about the way they've served other gods and they've created false idols. Talk about it. Talk about the way they've trained their kids to not love me and to not follow my statutes. 
And I'm telling you for the next many, many verses, you talk about hard preaching. There's not one of us that would enjoy having to sit under a sermon like that. None of us would enjoy it. Uh, I'm telling you, he, he did everything but name names. He just went down the list and said, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. God hates this. God despises this. You're in trouble because of this. From verse 4 through about verse 48. That's a long sermon. Some 45 verses of sin after sin. And that's his sermon. And when the sermon is complete, I want to show you what they said. Verse 49. Then said I, our Lord God, they say of me, does he not speak parables? They say, Ezekiel is praying a prayer of despair. He said, God, I've just named all their sin. And do you know what they said? He's speaking in parables. What did that mean? I didn't understand anything he just said. Now, I'm going to tell you, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I have preached things and watched people turn right around and walk out and do that very thing. And then when you talk to them about, well, I didn't understand that's what you meant. Hallelujah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like Jesus telling his disciples that day. He said, look, my friend Lazarus is asleep, and I need to go and wake him. And, and they said, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he's doing well. That's, you know, that's great and wonderful. Let him sleep, Jesus. The Bible said, then Jesus spake plainly unto them and said, Lazarus is dead. I'm telling you, there are times we need somebody to just speak plainly. There are times we need somebody to just tell it like it is. It may not be comfortable. It may not make us happy. But we need somebody to tell it like it is. You know, when, when a person becomes an alcoholic or a drug addict, there are those that, that are called enablers. Because they help cover for them. They, they pretend like nothing's really wrong. They won't really confront the issues. And so they're enabling the person to continue on in their alcoholism or their drug addictions. Or whatever else it is. They, they, they won't address it. They just cover for them and, and try to make them comfortable in it all. But I'll tell you, that's not what an addict needs. That's not what an alcoholic needs. They don't need an enabler. They don't need somebody to make them feel good about the condition they're in. They need somebody to look them eyeball to eyeball and say, you've got a problem. And you need to deal with it. It's not going to make them happy. But can I tell you sometimes... No, can I tell you, most of the time, the first step to fixing anything is to grow uncomfortable. 
you got to be miserable. You know, this is the, isn't this the way God works? How do sinners come to the altar? They come because God convicts them. It's not because they've just heard an I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, feel good sermon. That doesn't turn people to God. I'm going to tell you, we need a lot more hellfire and brimstone preaching in this day and age than we've ever had before. People don't like it, but we need it. Because you're going to have to get uncomfortable before you make a change. Now these people, these people, sadly, even when the prophet spoke plainly, they refused to accept that he was really addressing them. Oh, he's talking in parables. What does all this mean? Abomination. What does that mean? Idols? What's he talking about? They knew full well what he was talking about. They just didn't like the message. And so they tried to explain it away. They tried to find ways around it because they didn't like what was being said. Chapter 21. Let's look at that now. Um, there is one verse of Scripture. And again, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to move quickly here this morning but in chapter 21 there's one verse of scripture I want to look at but there are two separate things that I want to deal with in this one verse of scripture uh, Ezekiel 21 verse 27 are you looking there in your Bible Ezekiel 21 verse 27 let's read I will overturn 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 it and it shall be no more until he come whose right it is and I will give it him all right now um to just take this one verse and, and try to look at it, it's, uh, it, it, it's a little problematic to, to do a superficial uh, analysis of it. And so there's some things that we need to look at. And uh, uh, first of all, I want to take the first half of this. He's dealing with the city of Jerusalem. He said, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. Now, most of the time in the scripture, when you read something that is said three times in a row, it's what is called a Hebraism. It, it is uh, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, in order to put emphasis in their writing, would simply repeat something. Now, you know, today we have ways of making it bold letters or all capitals or underlining it, and so you know when you read it that that it is, uh, it, it needs to be emphasized. It, it needs to be strengthened in the way you read it. But to the Jews, if they were writing and they wanted to really make a point, then they would just say it uh, more than once. And the more times they said it, up to three times usually, uh, it really emphasized how strongly they felt about it. This is called a Hebraism. Now, this could be taken that way. Uh, for example, let me just give you a couple examples before I move on. Such as when the angels say, holy, holy, holy. They're not speaking to three persons in the Godhead. They are emphasizing the holiness of God. Another example, in, in Jeremiah, I didn't put this in the scripture list and... and um, I, I don't know how hard it'll be for you to put that up there and then come back to, to this one. If, if that's too, too difficult, don't worry about it. But, but in Jeremiah 22 and verse 29, uh, you read here where, as Jeremiah is prophesying, he says, Oh, earth, earth, earth. 
hear the word of the Lord. Now, there are not three earths. Right? He's just strictly doing this for emphasis. This is called a Hebraism. And, and, and so I said all that to turn around and tell you that in Ezekiel, I think it's more than a Hebraism. I think this is more than just emphasis. And the reason why, as we look back, I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. The word overturn in the original literally means overthrow. I will overthrow, overthrow, overthrow it. How many times was Jerusalem overthrown? Three. There, it was a literal thing in this particular case. More than just a literary style, God was being very specific. And, and especially to these Jews that have already come through uh, two of the overthrowings, God's letting them know it's not over yet. I'm coming back one more time, and I'm going to hit it again. You've seen it overthrown once. You've seen it overthrown twice. But I'm coming back, and I'm going to do it again. Hallelujah. Now, why would God overthrow it three times? It goes back to that concept of the Hebraism. This is where that comes in. God overthrew it three times to put emphasis on his anger towards the people. He was emphasizing to them, I'm not just frustrated with you. I'm not just a little put out with you. I'm angry. And I'm going to overthrow this city three times. Now, the second thing that I want us to look at in this verse, he said, it shall be no more. The city shall be no more until he come whose right it is. And I will give it him. Now, that's interesting. Until he come whose right it is. I don't know if that rings any bells with any of you, but if you're a Bible scholar of any kind, that phrase ought to sound familiar to you. He comes whose right it is. This was a prophecy that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. Let's read Genesis 49 and 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, Chapter 49 of Genesis is Jacob's blessing of his 12 sons before he dies. Jacob's about to die, and he, he blessing, he's blessing his 12 sons. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God rested on this old patriarch and used him. It was more than just a blessing. It was prophecy as he began to speak. And here he prophesies, and he says, The scepter shall not depart from from Judah. Now, the scepter was a sign of royalty. Is everybody with me? Jacob is prophesying that a kingdom is going to arise from Judah. And that kingdom will never die. Now, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. There's going to be a kingdom that starts with Judah, 
that, that, that comes from Judah. It will start in the tribe of Judah and, and, and come from that tribe. And it will continue on until, until Shiloh comes. When Shiloh comes, then there will be no need for a king in Judah anymore. Now the word Shiloh, and, and notice he said, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The word Shiloh means he whose right it is. So here's what the patriarch Jacob said. He said, Judah, there's going to be kings that come from you, and there will be a kingdom that arises, and that kingdom's going to continue until somebody greater comes along. And he is going to have the right to, to assume that kingdom, and his kingdom will never be overthrown, and his kingdom is going to last forever, and everybody's going to gather unto Shiloh. Unto he whose right it is. Now that's what Jacob prophesied. Knowing that, let's go back one more time and look at Ezekiel 21 and 27. And here's what he said. Ezekiel 21, 27. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. And it shall be no more until he come whose right it is. And I will give it him. Now this is, this is uh, a bit of a bright spot in, in everything that Ezekiel's been saying to the Jews. Uh, he's, he's saying, uh, God's going to overthrow you. God's going to destroy you. It's going to be judgment. But I'm telling you, somebody's coming that's going to make it all right. Somebody's coming along who has the right to establish a kingdom that'll never be overthrown. There will be no overthrowing of his kingdom. Hallelujah. Shiloh, he whose right it is. And we understand who that one is. It is Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was the, the root and the offspring of David who was of the tribe of Judah, that the kingdom that God began, amen, through the tribe of Judah lasted. But I'm telling you, we don't need a kingdom in Israel anymore. We have a king who has the right to an eternal throne. And of his kingdom, the Bible says, there shall be no end. He whose right it is. It's a bit of a bright spot. Because God said, I am going to restore things. But even in the midst of this bright spot, there is some darkness because that restoration's not coming for a long, long time. It's not coming until Messiah gets here. And when Messiah gets here, the restoration's not going to be a physical one. It's going to be spiritual. All right, chapter 22. Uh, verse 30, let me, and, and I'm trying to just, <laughs> trying to pick out maybe one verse or, or a short passage here as we try to move on. Chapter 22, verse 30, an important verse of Scripture. Uh, read chapter 22, verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now listen, 
One of the things that has been stressed throughout this book of Ezekiel, if you'll remember in the very beginning, the first few chapters of this book, he dealt with the ministry and the significance and the importance of the ministry. And I'm telling you that right now, God is saying, he's recounting. Now, he's not talking about the present moment because destruction's already come. And at the present moment, he has Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel all serving him, all interceding. But he's trying to tell Israel, this is why it happened to you. Because you reached a place where there was nobody to stand in the gap. I did not have a man who would intercede for you. I did not have a man who would pray for you. I, and, and I'm telling you, this is the way God works. And let me just throw this out. And I'm not saying it to be self-serving. But I want everybody under the sound of my voice to hear this. You cannot make it to heaven without a pastor. You can't make it on your own. I can't make it on my own. I need a pastor. I need somebody looking out for me. I need somebody to preach to me. I need somebody to talk to me. And you do too. I'm telling you, we can't see our own lives. We can't see our own conditions. We, we don't see ourselves the way we really are. That's right. You don't really understand how much you've aged because you see it every day. You know, you, you, you run into some old classmate and you walk away. I, I did it. Here a year or so ago, I was at a funeral and saw a, a man that had been a very close friend of mine. We'd worked on jobs together, gone to college together. Uh, actually, was in the same dorm room, and and uh, you know we'd we'd been very close through the years. And but I haven't seen him for probably twenty years, twenty five years, maybe uh, more than that. And and um, when I when I left the funeral, I told my wife, I said, "Man, he's getting old. He looks so old." She said, "He's probably saying the same thing about you right now." I mean, when I saw him, he was just fresh out of college, you know. This, and um, I said, he's really aged. <laughs> and well, we all have, but we don't see it in ourselves because it's gradual. This is why you need somebody else looking out for you. you. I'm telling you, Israel, I don't believe Israel even understood how far they had drifted away from the paths of God. I don't think they really recognized they had, because it was just one little step at a time. They didn't know how far they'd gone. But see, they didn't have anybody to warn them. They didn't have anybody to preach to them. They didn't have anybody to guide them. God said, I sought for a man and I couldn't find one. And that's why you're in the condition you're in right now. If there would have been somebody to intercede for you, what happened when God got angry at Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness? Do you remember? There was a time God said, I'm going to destroy every one of them. You know why he didn't? Because God had a man who stood up and said, God, don't do this. If you're going to do it, then you just go ahead and, and blot my name out. You just, just destroy me too.
In fact, God even went so far as to tell Moses, let me alone that I may destroy them. Moses, you're standing in the way. Wow. Listen to me. I want to tell you, I cannot overemphasize the importance of having a pastor in your life. Not just a preacher. I'm not talking about some TV preacher or radio evangelist that, that gives you a nice little sermon. I'm talking about somebody that watches for your soul. That can see when you start to veer and can say, hey, let's, let's get back on track. You know, when, when NASA sent uh, the spaceship to the moon, you understand that, that NASA is constantly watching the readings because if, when, when it first blasts off, if it just continues in a straight path the way it's going, it's going to miss the moon and, or, or it can veer just, just a centimeter and miss the moon by the time you multiply that out. And so there has to be constant course correction to keep it on track. And our lives are the same way. We can get off just a centimeter. If you've ever done any construction work, you know, you, you know if you've ever taken one board and, and used it you know, to, as the standard and, and you measured another board by it and then you threw the first one away and you measured the next one by the second one, you threw the second one away and measured the third one by you, know, and you, you keep going this way before long, you've got one that's either way longer or way shorter than you started with. But if you'll keep one as the guide and let it be the constant, consistent standard, then you don't veer. It keeps you on track. That's why we need a pastor in our lives. You know, I've said this before, but I want to show you this very quickly here, and I've, I've got to move on. But, but, but look at this. In, um, in fact, I want to take these in reverse. Go to Matthew 21 and verse 19 first. Matthew 21 and 19. And, and this is the story where Jesus and his disciples are walking along. And, and here's what happens. Matthew 21, 19, read. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Now, this fig tree was cursed. And died immediately. But go to Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came out, came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Now look, there is no difference between this fig tree and the one we just read about. They're both there. And both of them are unproductive. Right? They're in the same condition. All right, read. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And so it's cursed. Cut it down. I want you to get the axe today. And I want you to destroy this tree. I'm done with it. Verse 8. And he answering said unto him. But the dresser of the vineyard said, Lord. Let it alone this year also. Don't destroy it yet. Till I should dig about it. Let me work on it a little more. And dung it. Let, let, me, let me try to do what I can 
to help it grow. Give me another year. And if it, and if it be bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Listen, both of these trees were in the same condition. One survived, one didn't. What's the difference? What was the difference? One had somebody to stand in the gap. One had somebody to ask the Father, please don't do it yet. This is why I tell you, this is why it is so important. You can't live for God on your own. You cannot live for God on your own. You need somebody to watch over your soul. You need a pastor. I need a pastor. I thank God for my pastor. Amen. I thank God for my pastor. I, he gave me a bit of a scare the other day. He, he called me, and, and as soon as I answered the phone, he said, Brother Regan, I, I hate to do this. I, I don't want to do this. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what have I done wrong? I'm, I'm about to get chewed out here. Something's wrong in my life. I, and he just kept apologizing and apologizing. He said, I, I, don't, I just I don't want to do this. I hate to have to do this, but I feel like I have no choice. I have to do this. I'm holding my breath, waiting for him. And then he said, I, he was scheduled to come preach our 15th anniversary service. And he said, I, I just can't. He said, I hate it. I hate to cancel on you. I hate. And I breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> but I'm, te I, I've, I'm telling you, Pastor, Pastor Howard could call me at any time, day or night, and tell me, something I need to fix in my life and honey I'm going to start working on it immediately that's the way it is I want him to have that that right and that authority in my life and he knows that and I've been pastoring a long time I really have well over half of my life now I've spent as a pastor and um, I'm telling you that even in this present situation I still need a pastor and I still want somebody to talk to me. I, boy, I, I'm, I'm searching my heart. God, what is it? What have I done? Where, where have I gone wrong? And it wasn't anything like that. He just felt bad that he had to cancel uh, and not be able to come. Uh, Brother Johnny Burgess is coming, by the way. He's going he's gonna to be preaching for us. So we're excited about that. We'll give you more information on that as we get closer uh, to the month of April. But, um, but anyhow, Brother uh, Howard, um, as my pastor, has the right to talk to me about anything. In fact, I've told my children. Sometimes, I, I said, you know, sometimes it's hard to differentiate between dad and pastor. And so I want you to feel free at any time to call Brother Howard and talk to him. Even if it's about me. You call him. You talk to him. I want that. I, I'm to, we all need a pastor. Are you hearing me? I don't want to be the fig tree that gets cursed and nobody's around to save me. That was Israel's problem. They were the cursed fig tree. And nobody was there. I don't want to be in that condition. And I don't think you do either. Chapter 23. Um, 
this is a uh, let me let me skip through some of this if I can for time's sake. Uh, chapter twenty three is is a is one of these interesting things. It's a parable uh, where Ezekiel addresses the divided nations of Israel and Judah. You remember we talked about this in in. Uh, the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, how the, the nation of Israel divided and became Israel and Judah, two separate kingdoms. And um, so you had the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And, and so in Ezekiel chapter 23, what happens is Ezekiel prophesies by use of a parable. And he gives Israel a name, and he gives Judah a name, and he says they're sisters. And he says, these sisters, they, they, were, they were two women, the daughters of one mother, and they committed whoredoms in Egypt. And, and so he says, I judged the first sister because she was living such an immoral life. And you would think the second sister would see what happened and change her ways. But instead, she got worse. Now, now that's what chapter 23 is all about. And you can read through that parable. Uh, you can see it. In fact, um, I will read verse 11, chapter 23, verse 11. And when her sister Aholibah saw this, she was more corrupt in her inordinate love than she, and in her whoredoms more than her sister in her whoredoms. And so here's what he said. He said, when, when the second sister saw that I had judged the first, rather than repenting and begging for mercy, she just got worse. She didn't take a lesson. She didn't learn anything. She got worse. I'm going to tell you how sad is it when the very judgment of God only hardens your heart. Rather than softening it. But that's what happened to Judah. Now in chapter 24, and, and again for time's sake, I'm not, I was going to read through this. You, you want to read some blood and gore. Chapter 24 of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, as, they, as, as he begins to describe exactly what God did to that city. I'm telling you, you can see the anger of God written all over that chapter. God did not spare anything. It was rough times. We won't take the time to read that, but you can go home and read it. We get then into chapters 25 to 32, which is the next section of, of the outline of the book. Chapters 25 to 32 are God's judgment on Gentile nations. Now, after God had pronounced judgment on Jerusalem, Ezekiel then went on to pronounce God's retribution against several of the enemy nations that surrounded Israel. And, um, and, and by doing this, God was stating, I'm not only the God of Israel, I'm the God of the whole world. And it's not just Israel that's going to pay for their sins. Everybody's going to pay for their sins. Now, I, I'm again, because of time constraints, I'm not going to go through uh, all these chapters, chapter 25 to 32, I'm not going to deal with these. Uh, you can read about judgments uh, against um, uh, Egypt and against uh, 
Tyrus and against just, I mean, you can go through the, the list, nation after nation that he begins to address and tell them what their sin is and tell them what he's going to do to them. And, and he did everything he said he would do. And it's not that that's insignificant, but we're just trying to get through some other things here and, and you've got to pick and choose. But I do want to focus on one portion of Scripture or one chapter, I should say, in the midst of this, chapters 25 to 32, I want you to turn in your Bibles. I know we use this, the, the, the uh, overhead a lot, but I, some of this I want you to read it in your own Bible. Ezekiel 28, and beginning with verse number 1, and this is a little bit of a lengthy reading, but I want you to hear what God says to the king of, of Tyrus, or the prince of Tyrus. Uh, read here. Um, Ezekiel 28, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up. Because your heart is lifted up. And thou hast said, I am And God. you have said, I am a God. Now look, you don't make statements like that and expect the Lord of heaven to take it lightly. Because you were, your heart was lifted up, you said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of, I sit in the God, seat of God. In the midst of the seas, yet thou art yet a man. You're not a God, you're just a man. And not God. Though thou set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, thou art wiser than Daniel, there is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches, and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, hast thou increased thy riches, and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart because as the heart of God. Because you set your heart as the heart of God. Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee they down to shall the pit. bring thee down to the pit. And thou shalt die the death. You'll die the death of them that are slain, that are in, the slain the in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? But thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Now, do you understand what he just said? He said, when they come and they've got their sword in their hand, they're putting it to your throat, are you still going to tell them you're God? How are you going to feel like God then? You're going to see you're not a God. You're just a man. Read. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Let me tell you something. Now, I don't think anybody here has ever been guilty of thinking you are a God but I will tell you this a lot of folks think a lot more highly of themselves than they ought to and can I tell you I don't care how highly you think of yourself God can bring you down I've, I've had people, I, I remember talking to somebody one day and, and, and they were telling me, I'll fix it. I don't care what kind of problem comes in my life, I will fix it. 
I said, no, no, you might think you can fix it, but I'm telling you, God has a way to bring you down. I don't care what happens. I can fix the problem. I said, what are you going to do if you break your back? Oh, well, I, I'll lay on my bed and still conduct my business and everything will be fine. But I want to tell you, God knew how to bring him down too. Listen to me, my friend. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We cannot get around that. We got to get rid of our pride, and if we don't, God will get rid of it for us. I'm telling you, God knows how to bring you down. Let me show you something. I want to show you something in the New Testament, all right? Because, again, people seem to think they have this dichotomy in their mind. They think there was an Old Testament God and a New Testament God, and he's totally different now. He's not. Does everybody agree the book of Acts is the New Testament? Everybody agrees? book of Acts is New Testament? Let's see what the New Testament God does to a man a lot like the Prince of Tyrus. Acts chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. All right, I, I gave you the wrong verse, and I, I'm sorry. That's, it's not chapter 2. And I wrote it down wrong, and I apologize. But what the story is, it is the story of King Herod. And Herod gets up, and he uh, gives a speech. He gives an oration. And as he is giving his speech, the people said, It is the voice of a God and not a man. And Herod thought that sounded pretty good. And Herod accepted that praise. And when he did... God dealt with him. Chapter 12, you got it? All right, read it for me. Yeah, uh, verses is chapter 12. It should have been Acts 12, 21 to 23. I, I was close there. Instead of 2, it's 12. Acts 12, 21 to 23. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne. And See, I wasn't making this up. This really is in the New Testament. <laughs> All right, he sat upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in a royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God. It is the, the voice man. of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. Is this in the New Testament? Is this in the New Testament? And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Now, you know, I, I, I don't want to take the time to deal with exactly what happened here, but... But just understand, I don't think that it was an instant death. I think the angel smote him instantly. And I think it took time for this death. To, I got a feeling this was a pretty slow and painful death. And I've got a feeling that by the time it was all over with, Herod was realizing, I'm not a god after all. I'm not nearly as strong as I thought I was. New Testament God. Same God as the Old Testament. God still doesn't let any of us get by with that. He's, he's not going to accept. All right, now let's go back to Ezekiel 28. 
and uh, verses 12 through 19, and this again is a lengthy reading, but I, I, want, you to, I want you to get this. Uh, now understand that in chapter 28, we haven't changed chapters, he started out talking to the, the king of Tyrus, all right? And he's still talking to the same man. Let's read 28 verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. The king of Tyrus was in the garden of Eden? King of Tyrus wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Now, I'm telling you, I've read commentators who say that, uh, that he was still talking to the King of Tyrus because the Bible said, take up this lamentation against the King of Tyrus. And so commentators are trying to explain what God meant by all this as he spoke to... Here's what I understand. The chapter starts out speaking to the man. But before it's done, he's speaking to the spirit that is driving the man. There was a spirit behind the king of Tyrus. And it wasn't just any spirit. But it was the one that had been in the Garden of Eden. And now he is addressing not the man, but the spirit in that man. Lucifer himself. And here's what he says. Every precious stone was thy covering. Was thy covering. Sardius, topaz, yeah. the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Now, I, I could spend a lot of time right here, but let me just tell you, he's talking about Lucifer. And he says of Lucifer, you had music in you when you are created. Let me just say this. I've heard people say, well, it doesn't matter what kind of music it is. You put some good lyrics to it and we can use it and it can be a blessing. I don't agree. I don't believe we can use just any kind of music in our worship. I believe there is still a form of music that comes from the belly of hell. One of these days I'll do some teaching on music. And I'm, I, I don't, I'm telling you, there's probably not anybody that knows less about m musical composition and musical theory than me. But I have studied some things about the effects of music. And um, I can teach a little bit on that. Uh, I, I can't read notes. I, I don't really have much of an ear for music. God knows it's the one area I wish I had talent that I don't. But... I will tell you that there is a kind of music that affects us negatively. It does not enhance our walk with God. It destroys our walk with God. And I don't care what kind of lyrics you put in that music. The music itself is doing damage. And I'll prove it. Whenever I get a chance to teach the lesson, I will prove it to you. I'm telling you, I've, I've, got, I've got evidence. I, I, 
I don't care what anybody says. I'm telling you, some types of music incite violence in just the style of music. I don't care if there's not a word being spoken. It incites violence just by the music itself. You know, what, what do the cannibals in Africa do when they get ready to devour someone? They work themselves up in a frenzy through their music. The beating of the drum until it drives them into a frenzy. And there's a reason why it's the beating of the drum. All that, I can teach on all that later. But I just do want you to see, he's dealing with, with Lucifer here, and he says specifically, there was music created in Lucifer. I believe that when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, everything in him became distorted. And I believe that there is still music in Lucifer, but it's distorted music. And the sad thing is a lot of Christians, including apostolics, have been adopting Lucifer's music and calling it worship. And I don't believe God's pleased with it. Well, it's gotten quiet, but anyhow. All right, let me go on. Maybe we can find something you like a little better here. Maybe not. Um, let's, let's read on. The next verse. Thou art the anointed cherub. You're the covereth, anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till the iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Let's skip down to verse 19 for time's sake. I've got to cut through some of this. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Yeah, he said, I'm going to tell you something. The day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming, Lucifer, that you're going to get yours. That's why I don't know who it was that first coined the phrase, but I think, it's, I think it is appropriate, and I think it's something, it's one of those cliches that we all need to know, and that is anytime the devil comes around and reminds you of your past, what you ought to do is start reminding him of his future. Because he is going to spend eternity in hell. Hell was created for him, not for us. Though some people will go there, it was created for him. God will bring Lucifer down as well. Uh, in chapters 33 through 48, and I, I'm, I'm, this is the last section of the book. I've got 15 minutes. I'm going to see what I can get out in this next little bit. But chapters 33 through 48 deal with the coming restoration. So, so you've got these first 32 chapters where it's judgment and it's, it's uh, discipline. But then... Before he closes the book, he says, I do want you to know God is going to turn things around. It is going to be different. And, and so he does that. And I think it's interesting that this section begins chapter 33, the first chapter of this section that talks about the restoration. I want you to see how it starts out. We're not going to read all of this, but let's, let's go to Ezekiel 33 verses 1 through 9 is what we're going to do. We'll, we'll stop you somewhere along the way here. 
And again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him, and for, set their him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, uh-huh. then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come, take him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. Right. He heard, he heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. Right. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and uh-huh. the people be not warned, if the sword come, and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman to right. the house of Israel. All right, now, now, this is where I wanted to go, I, and... and well, let's finish that verse. I've set thee a watchman in the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the, hear word, the word at my, at mouth, my mouth and warn, warn them, them from me. From me. I, I, it's not a coincidence that when God starts dealing with the restoration that is to come, the very first chapter addresses the watchman. If there's going to be a restoration, it's going to start at the mouth of the watchman. Now, God deals with the responsibility of the watchman. Don't just get up there and preach anything you want to preach, Ezekiel. But I'm telling you, you better hear my word and deliver what I've got to say. Now, this is, this is an awesome responsibility. And I'm telling you, I do not take it lightly. I am not here to preach to you what I think will sound good to you. I am not here to tell you what I think is a nice thought. I am here to hear from God and to say to this church, here's what God wants you to know. That's my job. Now, here's the responsibility that rests on my hands and yours. If God warns me about something that's coming and I don't tell you, I'm going to be judged for it. If I don't tell you what God says, God's going to judge me for it. But if I do tell you and you don't respond... God's going to judge you for it. So we both have a responsibility, don't we? My responsibility is to tell you what God says. Your responsibility is to obey what God says. And God's going to deal with both of us based on how we deal with our responsibilities. This is the way it works in the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, uh, that's chapter 33. Let's, let's skip down. I need to show you this. Chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. Again, this really is a bright spot in Ezekiel's prophecy, and it's extremely important. Uh, chapter 36, because we're dealing with a restoration that's coming to the Jewish people. But look at how God says it's going to come. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I, give with it, uh, will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of, out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit I'll put you, my spirit in you. And cause you to walk. And I'll cause you to walk in my, in statutes, my statutes. And, ye shall keep and you'll my keep my judgments. Now listen, I'm telling you, this is one of the most profound prophecies in all the Old Testament. Are you hearing me? It is profound because this is the first time that God really revealed what his new covenant was going to be like. He said, I want you Jews to know the problem all along 
is what I talked about before I ever started preaching this morning. The problem all along is you had a list of thou shalt nots. And you tried to live that life based on rules. But I'm going to change all that. And I'm going to come and I'm going to put a new heart in you. And I'm going to put my spirit not just on you, not just with you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And my spirit is going to enable you to live the way I want you to live. I'm going to tell you, this is something that even people in the church age don't really understand. But it's important that we get a grasp of this concept. Somebody told me one day, said, I can't live that life, preacher. I can't live like that. My response is, I can't either. I can't either. But God can. So I just have to learn to let him live through me. Hallelujah. That's the key. If we'll get full of the Spirit, the Spirit knows how to direct us. The Spirit knows how to guide us. The Spirit knows how to keep us. Our problem is we're still trying to do it like the Jews did it. Do it according to the flesh. That's not the plan of God. He wants His Spirit directing us. He wants His Spirit guiding us. He wants His Spirit changing us. God gave me a new heart, a new heart. The things I used to love, I now hate. The things I used to hate, I now love. I tell people, I tell people, I, I smoke as much as I want to smoke because I don't want to. I drink as much alcohol as I want to drink because I don't want to. There's a heart in me that wants to please God. It's not because I'm anything. It's not because I'm any different than anybody else. The difference is he put his spirit in me. And when he puts his spirit in you, it'll change you as well. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And then chapter 37. I'm telling you, I could spend one entire lesson just on chapter 37. In fact, I have before. Um, in fact, almost 15 years ago, one of the first messages I preached to this church was from Ezekiel 37. Preached the whole message just from this one chapter. This is the chapter, maybe the most well-known story in the entire book of Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, I'm t if I get started there, we'll be here until service tonight. It, it is a phenomenal thing. It is, it is important that you learn the lessons of it. I've drawn applications from it. Maybe one of these days I'll come back and do some preaching and teaching again just from that chapter. However, let me tell you, and, and I've said this before, but I, you, need to, you need to understand this. With every scripture, the Bible says no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Right? So, so we have to understand there's only one interpretation for every scripture, and that's God's. Now, we, we may not get it, but God understands the scripture, and God has a way to, to explain it, and God has an interpretation. Our job is to find out God's interpretation. Having said that, there are many applications 
from any given passage of Scripture. For instance, I can preach to you about David and Goliath. There's one interpretation, and that is there was a young boy who brought a giant down with a sling and a stone. That's the interpretation. But I can give you an application of the giants that are in your life that want to intimidate you, that want to destroy you, but with the help of God, you can bring them down. There's an application beyond the interpretation. So many times what we hear preached from Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, are applications. But the interpretation, what is this whole section of Scripture dealing with? What? Somebody said it. Restoration. Restoration of what? Israel. So we can look at Ezekiel 37 and give it a lot of applications. I love to preach about the Valley of Dry Bones and the preacher seeing them just like they were and preaching it just like it was, telling them they're dry bones. I love to talk about the Spirit coming in and giving them life. I, 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 the bones coming together, everybody finding their place. I love to preach all that. But there is really only one interpretation of that passage. Are you following me? It's not wrong to preach those applications, but the interpretation, God's dealing with a nation of people that are being scattered. Spiritually, they are dead. They're dry. They're worse than corpses. They are skeletons whose bones are not even together. That's the spiritual condition of Israel. But God said, I'm going to change that. And Israel will again stand up to be a great, exceeding, mighty army. That's the interpretation. It's dealing with Israel. Amen. Uh, chapter 43. Let me just hit a couple highlights. Musicians come. I'm, try, I'm trying to close. Uh, chapter 43 this is God promising that his glory is going to return to Jerusalem. Uh, you'll remember one of the passages we dealt with. God literally showed Ezekiel that his glory left the city of Jerusalem, just departed from the city. The glory was gone. But now in chapter 43, he says, but it's not gone forever. It's coming back. I'm, I'm going to return. I'm, I'm going to come back. My glory will come back to that city. It will be there. And in fact, the very last verse of this section on restoration and the last verse of the entire book, chapter 48, verse 35, and I'm going to close with this. Ezekiel 48, verse 35. It was around about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Now, he's talking about the restoration of Jerusalem. But here's what he says. The name of that city shall be. Now, in our English Bibles, it says the Lord is there. In the Hebrew, it simply says Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. God is there. He's there. Jerusalem, God's been gone, but he's coming back. He's going to be there again. And you know he did. You know his glory did come back. We beheld his glory. 
as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who was that glory? It was the man Christ Jesus. He came back to Jerusalem. He walked through that city. He came into that temple. I'm telling you, the glory of God came back. Not the way the Jews wanted it to come, but in better fashion, in greater fashion, because the door was open now. Amen. There was a fount in the house of David that became open to everybody. You don't have to be a Jew. You can be a Gentile. The glory of God, when it returned to Jerusalem, actually came to everybody. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you right now, Jehovah Shammah. In your situation, Jehovah Shammah. In your distress, Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He said, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Does anybody believe that this morning? Are you glad the Lord is there? I'm telling you, he's right there with you. He's right there in the midst of your situation. He's right there in the midst of your trouble. He's right there in the midst of your dilemma. The Lord is there. Let's stand and love him right now, can we?